Good morning. We want to welcome everyone to our service here at the Boonville Church of Christ this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you if you're online viewing our service. Thank you for being a part of that. We come together today to worship the Lord, you know, and we have a great privilege to be able to come to a place like this and, and to worship God. And we're glad that you're a part of it. If you would at this time, please take the friendship register off the end of the pews and pass it down so we can have a record of everyone's attendance. At the end of the service, the ushers will be taking up those uh, friendship registers, so please do that at this time. Let's begin our time together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for all of the many blessings that you bestow upon us every day. Thank you for the blessings that this congregation receives every day. We are so thankful for the sense of revival that we feel throughout this, this congregation. And we pray that you will help us to grow, to reach out to others, to bring in those that are not members of your kingdom, and to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Father, as we come together today, we pray that we can worship you and worship you in, a, in the proper manner and that our worship will be acceptable to you. These many things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The first song we'll be singing today, this morning, is 860, There is a Habitation. We will sing the first, third, and fourth verse. Please sing out. There is a by the living God for all of every nation.
before the prayer this morning, we will sing, He Lives, 346. I'll sing, we will sing the first and the last verse. I serve a risen Savior, Let us pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings of it. Lord, we thank you for the group that's gathered here and the opportunity that we have to hear your word today. Lord, just allow us to take that word and apply it to our lives. Be with all of those that are sick, all of those that are hurting, both spiritually and physically, because, Lord, we know that you are the great physician. Just watch over each and every one of us guide, guard, and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The invitation song today will be only a step, 940. Only a step. So uh, the song before our lesson today will be number 647, Soldiers of Christ Arise. Please stand if you are willing and able. Let's sing. Soldiers of Christ arise. 
I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win them more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, it's under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. Good morning, everyone. It's terrific to see you today, and thank you for the enthusiastic singing. So you came here with your cup already full, right? And it was just sloshing about as you were driving over in your car, and when you got here, you just unloaded that thing. I hope when you leave here today, you will feel exhausted from having expended yourself to God's glory. This week, we celebrated a precious soul, had been on this planet for 86 years and used every single year to God's glory. Nada Bullock. She has experienced something now that all of us just can't wait to experience. You? Man, for me, if it were today, it wouldn't be soon enough. You think, wait, wait, what? I'm ready to go. I really am. And I hope that you're ready to go too. Now, if it doesn't happen today, it's going to happen sometime. So I hope that we can live our lives to the fullest just like she did. And then when that day comes, if we're all still here, we will celebrate it as we did Sister Bullock. Randy Beatty, who is Sheila's husband, he is going to be having open heart surgery tomorrow. So we're going to be praying for the success of that surgery. Understand that uh, he's had some other procedures in the past that may potentially complicate the surgery. So we just we pray that it's going to go without any problems at all, that he'll have great success and be back to himself very soon. Today is a day in which we're just going to challenge ourselves a little bit in terms of our outreach potential. Because I'm just telling you, you have it within you to make a tremendous difference in this world. But it's going to depend on your ability to be flexible, to carry the gospel to places maybe you hadn't thought of carrying it, to share the gospel with people you never thought about sharing it with. But before we start, let's pray about these items and also that God will bless us in our study today. Bow with me, please. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessing and the privilege it is to assemble here to worship 
you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that all of us have come today with a heart that is so full. We are doing our very best, Lord, to just empty ourselves to your honor and glory. Lord, we, we had a reminder this week in Sister Nada's death. Reminder of the life we're living right now. Sometimes we just live along and go day by day without any thought whatsoever to eternal things. But this week we did stop and consider what it's really like to live a long life and one of great quality of life. One that was dedicated to you in so many different areas. And Lord, we just thank you for her and what she meant to this church and what she will continue to do as a result of her influence on so many of us. We pray for her family and their comfort. But we also know that we don't sorrow like worldly people do. And we're just looking forward to that day when we can be reunited. We pray for Randy and his surgery tomorrow. We pray that it will be a tremendous success, that it will have no complications, and that he'll recover very quickly. We ask, Father, now that you will bless us as we consider this portion of Scripture. We pray, Father, that we will take heed to its instruction and that it will remind us of our capability in Christ. And Lord, not just remind us of that, but Lord, make us active. Help us to always act on what we know to do right. Not to, not to have an opportunity to beat ourselves up about what we know, but to act on it and to be satisfied that we have done the very best that we could according to our ability. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to communicate those things from the illustrations that you give in Scripture. And I pray that you'll be with those who hear it and examine it, that they will see these things are true and that they will be motivated to apply what you want of us to every single day. Thank you for the blessing that that certainly is. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Wow, like magic. This morning, we're going to take that text that we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but it's, it's basically a springboard from which we are going to dive into Acts chapter 17 which is full of the expression of what we find right here in this text. Now, as pertains to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I really want to go to the heart of Paul's message in the illustration, which is found in verse 22. Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I want you to think of that carefully for a moment. I become all things. I will be whatever I need to be. To anybody, all men. So that I might by all means, any means acceptable, save, well, he didn't say that I may save all. 
I mean, that would have fit, right? I'll put in my all in order to reap all. That wasn't Paul's thought. Paul's thought, I'm going to give it my all, everything I've got, everything that I am, with the possibility that it'll have an influence on some. Now, that's real. That's practical. I know and you know by experience that even given our best effort, we don't always reach all with the gospel. It doesn't always land where we hope that it will land. So Paul, with that mind, says, you know what, in terms of what I can do, I certainly will do all, and I will get out of my comfort zone. For instance, I am firmly a follower of Jesus Christ. I am free in that regard. But if it's necessary that I become a slave or a servant, and you know what? That's what I'll be. If in my relationship with Jesus, all in with Jesus, but if it is important that I take up again my Judaism in order to win somebody for Jesus, I'll become a Jew. If, if I have to be free from the law itself, that is basically turn my back on Judaism, then I'll do that too. If it's necessary that I exhibit in my life non-relationship to the law, I'll do that and still hold on to Jesus. If I need to be weak, even though I know in my relationship with Jesus I'm very strong, listen, I will become weak so that I can achieve for the sake of the gospel the very best outcome. I am going to do whatever is necessary in my relationship with other people to get the message of the gospel to them. Okay, well, most of us, most of us don't sound like Paul. Or, if it's not us talking, maybe just the look at our lives doesn't really look much like Paul. We have our circle of friends. We kind of have our niche in society. We kind of know where we fit in. And, and it is awkward for us to branch out, to go places we've never been before, to be with people that, well, frankly make us uncomfortable. I want to stay in my comfort zone. I don't want to have my life in upheaval. I don't want to be challenged, or if I'm challenged, certainly challenged in an arena that I'm familiar with. I have to start dealing with circumstances and problems that I've never experienced or I don't have a quick answer to, then I might want to steer away from that. That's typically how we feel about things. Paul's calling for us to think differently. To become all things to all men that we might by all means save some. We didn't use it as part of our text, but I would refer back to verse 16. Because the Apostle Paul asserts there exactly why it is that he would do such a thing. He says that what had been laid upon him by necessity, 
was the preaching of the gospel. And he says, yes, woe is me if, if I don't preach it. Could, could you say that part? I mean, it's kind of like, okay, a little uncomfortable with the idea of having to branch out, but maybe I could see that a little bit. If it's not intended as Paul is expressing his intention, then I'm pretty sure that even our best effort would be temporary, right? We could do it for a while, but, you know, kind of satisfied what I felt like I needed to do. Paul says, it isn't like that for me. This is a choice of Christian lifestyle. It is on me. It, it is something that I live with every day. It is of necessity. It, it isn't something I can lay aside. I have to do this. I have got to share the love of God manifested through the gospel with somebody. And woe is me if I don't do it. And, and I get the sense that it, it isn't that, oh no, if I don't do it, maybe the Lord's going to punish me some way. Not that, but it is the idea that I am so committed to this that if I didn't do it, I would beat myself up about it. I would be like, Paul, what, what's wrong with you? You know, here was an opportunity. Why did you let that pass? Well, I let it pass because they don't dress like me, because they smell funny, they don't talk like I do, they don't live where I live. Paul says, actually, out of necessity, I will be anybody I need to be so that I can tell them about Jesus. Declarations like that, you know, high, lofty, ideals. That's great to read like on Pinterest or on Facebook. Somebody's like, boy, I got a good one today. Put that out there. Oh man, you know, raise my Christian banner. Look at me. But, but really to have a life that is driven by a desire to see other people saved. That's what we are striving for today. Now, when I look at Paul, I generally <laughs> look at his whole life and I'm like, wow, that guy really, really put his actions where his mouth was. You know, he fulfilled it every step of the way. But there is, there is a text of Scripture, an, an entire chapter, in fact, Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes into three very different settings and he sets for us example after example after example of what he really means here in verse 22. Truly, everywhere he went, he became whatever was necessary in order to preach the gospel. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I'm going to share with you those, but I'm not going to share them with you in order. <laughs> okay, Here, here's what I've done. I, I'm going to talk first about Paul going into Thessalonica. You'll find that in the first nine verses. Then we're going to skip a little story. We're going to go to the end, verses 15 to 34. We're going to talk about Paul going to Athens. And then 
really is just so that we end on a very positive note, okay? <laughs> so then we're going to go and see Paul's interaction with those folks in Thessalonica. That'll be verses 10 to 12. Okay, let's start in Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look at the first nine verses. This is the Apostle Paul as he goes into Thessalonica. And in each case, I'm going to break it down exactly the same way so that we can kind of see the weight of it and how it unfolds. We're going to see what happens first when he makes his appearance in the city. Okay, just as soon as he gets there, what happens? And then we'll see the reaction of those folks that he intermingles with. And then finally, what I want us to do, which I think is the most important thing for us, is see, see out of that how, how I could apply it to me. How I could become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Okay, so Paul goes into Thessalonica and the first thing that he does is basically the same thing you and I would probably do. He seeks out people that are just like him. I mean, why not monopolize while you have the opportunity on the situation? So he goes to a synagogue. Now, this is interesting because the Jews had a tradition of sorts, and I can't say that it was applied in every setting or if there was some fear that doctrine might be adulterated, that they would suspend what was a tradition. But typically, when you were a foreigner coming into a town and you attended the synagogue, the leaders of that synagogue would kind of vet you about your qualifications, where you came from, and what kind of schooling that you had. And then based on that, they might invite you to speak to everybody that had gathered there. So two things. Number one, I'm going to be with people that are just like me. Uh, they grew up like I did, Paul would think. And then secondly, I'm going to get an opportunity without any threat so ever to be able to speak before this, well, before this captive audience. And so Paul does that. And he is invited to speak there for three Sabbath days. That is, what he is speaking is so piqued the curiosity and the interest of those folks that are meeting in this synagogue that they're like, can you come back? Can you come back? We want to hear more of what you have to say. The text tells us that he was sharing with them what you might have expected. The gospel message from the Old Testament scriptures. He shares with them about the suffering of Jesus, which ultimately would have resulted in his death. And then he shares with them about the resurrection. And I can't help but think about many of the sermons that had preceded this, it, like the sermon on the day of Pentecost when the church was established. There was the constant drumbeat of Jesus Christ and fulfillment of the scriptures and how that he had died at the hands of the Jews according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. He said, you are guilty of killing your own Messiah. And so there they are. Week after week, please come back and tell us more. Tell us more. Well, as a result of that, there is quite the reaction. Because according to verse Four, the very thing that Paul told us he was hoping would happen when he gave it his all is that some believe. But 
You know, Satan's never happy when things are going or seeming to go in the right direction. In fact, Tommy was talking about how there just seems to be this great sense of revival, this, this positive feeling in the Boonville Church. Listen, be very, very careful because Satan hears the sound of alert. Whoa, that Boonville Church over there. Look what's going on. Those people are happy. They're at peace. Let's see what we can do to break that up. Is that what we want? Is that what we want? Well, of course not. We want to be a means by which God, through us, having our all, can go out there in this community and see to the saving, at least of some. So they were having this great success, and it wasn't very long before the Jews, perhaps some that had been hearing this message but had remained quiet for a time, or certainly those who in the community are hearing about what's going on at this synagogue, they become envious. People are listening to him and not to us. Our, our influence is waning. He's teaching doctrines that we believed were incomplete, and so they take action. They're going to assault Paul and his entourage, and so they make accusations. One of those accusations is, you know those people that we've heard of that have been turning the Jewish world, at least, upside down? Well, they're right here. That's who these people are. And oh, by the way, you know, we're just law-abiding, good Roman citizens around here. And this guy, he is usurping that authority. And so all of the warning signs go out and people get excited and we need to extinguish this threat. And so they go after Paul and Silas, but the brethren whisk them away. And so poor Jason... Don't you just love being hospitable and inviting people in? And now you find yourself under arrest. It's like, whoa, wait, happened. What's going on? But, you know, the Lord prevails in this. And, and that thing, at least in Thessalonica, because Paul is gone, begins to settle down a little bit. And I wonder, as you read that, if you don't ask yourself, wait a minute. Wasn't that a disaster? I mean, this thing ends with a fight nearly breaking out. And Paul and Silas now are wanted men because they're insurrectionists, you know. We, we just have this threat against them, and that just seems like a, a total disaster right there. Everything's wrong about it, but that, that really is not the case. Why didn't Paul just stay and fight it out, you know? Stand his ground and, and call for these people to, to lay aside their envy and their jealousy and just, just take the word for what it is, just debate after debate. You remember Jesus when he sent out what we call the limited commission. In the book of Luke chapter 9 and verse 5, that's one example of it. Jesus told those disciples that they were to go into a village and if it accepted them, they could bless it. And God's going to bless that because here are people who want to know what God has to say, in particular about the coming kingdom. But he said, if you enter into a village that isn't accepting, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're very closed-minded about it, they do not believe, they become uh, very upset, they, they try to kick you out, they create issues for them. He said, you know what? 
Don't stay there and try to win them over because their heart is not set on the things of God. What you do is you kick off the dust of your feet. Just knock that dust off of your sandals and you go on your way. Make a positive inroad somewhere else. Actually, that very same thing happened in the book of Acts chapter 13. The mention of it is in verse 51 of that text. It was in a city of Antioch. They're being rejected. What did they do? Well, they did the very same thing. Literally kicked the dust off of their sandals and went on to Iconium in that case. What does it mean to kick the dust off your sandals? The idea, most likely, is the sense that, you know what, not even your dust is worthy to carry along with us in the terms of the gospel. You've decided that you want no part of us, we want no part of you, even down to the very dust of your village. Does that mean that we cut them off forever? Does that mean that the work in Thessalonica was undone and no value to it and all is lost? Actually, you know, there was that tumult there with the Jews, but what Thessalonica is famous for is not really the Jewish influence. What Thessalonica was famous for is what Paul referred to in the first of two letters that he wrote to Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, where he referred to those brethren as being those who had left their idols to serve the true and the living God. Maybe you go in, right, with every intention of winning your friends and neighbors. But to your surprise, the people that you influence the most are the people you never even thought about or never even gave yourself credit that you might be able to reach. Just because we believe or we deduce that this has been a terrible disaster does not mean that that is so. In fact, what was reaped was exactly what Paul had intended all along, right? To save some. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, and of course this is on the heels of the reminder that we're going to live and when we die we're going to be raised triumphantly, so don't worry about it. Ultimately, however you live for God, you carry the banner for Jesus, you're going to win some souls, you're going to have dedicated the fullness of your life and receive your reward, that is in the bank. You can trust that God is going to uphold His end if you will uphold yours. But in the meantime, at verse 58, He says to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do I ever, ever, ever waste my time sharing the gospel with someone? The answer would be, no, I never waste time sharing the gospel with someone. And there was an unintended blessing that came from it. So we're going to skip around a little bit, as I told you in the beginning, and we're going to now go to Athens. So we're still in chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 15 to 34. 
In that text, Paul goes into Athens, and where does he go? Well, just like always, he goes to the synagogue. Not only does he go to the synagogue, but the text also tells us that he goes into the marketplace. Now, this is Paul being flexible, right? I want to go and really take advantage of people like me, but not just people like me, because Athens is noted for being a place where everybody's kind of mingled together. Nations from all over the known world are there. They're there for trade, and they're there for philosophical discourse. In fact, the text tells us that one of the things that those intelligent, wise, studious people gathered together for as they are surrounded by their monuments and idols that are attributed to every kind of God that they can imagine from far and wide is to hear or to tell some new thing. So, the Apostle Paul Having come first to Athens, going to spend time with his own people, maybe it'll be kind of like it was in Thessalonica. I'll get to come back three or four, de- three or four weeks and preach to my people. Maybe I'll have the unintended blessing of the Gentiles coming in. Boy, wouldn't that be wonderful. But on this occasion, as he has ventured into the marketplace and he sees all of these idols attributed to these foreign gods, his spirit is moved within him and he just swells with a discourse for Jesus in the presence of all of these, well, philosophers. Mentioned especially are people who are on two opposite poles of that spectrum. On the one hand, you have the Epicureans, and on the other end, you have the Stoics. Now, the Epicureans were those people who just liked the idea of tranquility and peace and just letting things ride. And then on the other hand, the Stoics, who believed that everything was according to fate. So what happens, happens. And because of that, they express no emotion. And that makes sense, right? If If you're truly Stoic, If you really believe that everything is according to fate, then you really don't have need for emotions because what happens, happens. It is what it is. Wow, how do you you open yourself up? How do you become all things that you need to be with such a diverse line of thought? How do you hit something here? Paul, by inspiration, begins to tell them all about the true God of heaven. But more than that, he brings the knowledge of God down onto the table of discourse of which they were all familiar. And he says, you know, the truth is that even your poets have spoken about these same things. And I'm talking about the God in whom all things exist. He says, they've come up with this notion. In Him we live and move and have a very being. We are all His offspring. Wait, wait, whoa, Paul, you're blowing a mind right here. 
What did you say? Now on this end, we've got people that just want to come into contact with the emotions just, just floating along in life and peace and tranquility. Then we got these other people who are driving a hard bargain, driving a straight line, letting everything be by faith and just strong and stoic with their emotions. But you're telling us about a God that all of us are offspring of? Man, wow! You know what the text says? The text says that there were several different reactions to that. In verse 32, there are a couple of things that we might would have expected. For instance, there were some people who mocked, but they were mocking not at this idea of God being the father of all, but the sense of the resurrection, which ought to tell you something about part of his discussion. He shared the gospel of Jesus, even with those varied minds in philosophy. Paul is not going to go anywhere without sharing the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, even in a place where I'm sure he felt them looking down their long noses of education and he still proclaimed the gospel. Now he is having, well, some mockery. People just can't wrap their minds around this idea of resurrection. And then others, according to this text, procrastinated. They said, you know, we'll hear about this again at another time. But please don't miss verse 34. Verse 34 tells us that there were some who believed. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God, stronger than men. Men can look down their long noses at you if they want to. But we are proclaiming the saving message, the only saving message of the Son of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. So we meet people of varied interests, right? <laughs> we, we might not call them philosophers, <laughs> but we meet people who believe all kinds of things all the time. And many people who believe something one minute and then seemingly a week later, something totally different. A lot of times that's because as with the Athenians, so too for our modern day, people are looking for something. And until they find something of substance and value, they'll never be satisfied spiritually. In fact, I would call it spiritual bankruptcy. Some people try to fill that void with drugs or alcohol or sex or some people, and it seems, I don't know, 
Maybe it's just because I'm living in this society. It just seems more prevalent in our time. That people get into a state of such despair that they will even take their own lives. And that is happening practically on an epidemic sort of level with our young people. How could someone so young despair for life in our age when there is that remedy? You say, well, Ken, what's that remedy? It's, it's the same remedy that there was on that day that Paul preached it in Athens. And it is that same remedy that should be all over every single one of us. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel will wash away any sin, no matter how ashamed and filled with guilt we may be, that gospel will wash those sins away. Paul proclaimed that message and had success. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And that he did. Okay, so let's travel now back in time to verses 10 to 12. And I want to see us as the Apostle Paul goes into the city of Berea. Well, what does he do first and foremost? <laughs> as he always does. He went right into the synagogue. If I go into the synagogue, I'll be among my people, you know. I'll share with Whoa, wait a minute. He really was among his people. In fact, among like-kind thinking people. People who say, you know what, I don't... I don't have the pride and audacity to say that I know everything. And so, Paul, you just preach it. And what we're going to do is we are going to receive it with readiness. Listen to that. I'm going to take what you have. I'm going to accept it with great enthusiasm. And then I'm going to temper that enthusiasm. Now, I'm excited. I'm excited about what you have to see, say about the Messiah having come and He's made possible the washing away of our sins. Wow, that's amazing. But I'm not just going to take your word for it. I'm going to receive it with a ready heart and then I am going to search the Scriptures every single day to see if what you are saying to me is true. Now, there is not an evangelist, not one who holds the true gospel, not one who wants to see souls saved. There is not one evangelist who will say, boy, I wish they wouldn't ask so many questions. <laughs> no, please. We want to be certain that what you understand is what the Bible teaches. Listen, if you come out of a thing that is just a bunch of fun and smoke screens, just an avenue by which to satisfy the emotion and the flesh, you have landed at the wrong place. The desire is to grow spiritually. Remember what we said? We come here with our cup full. We are emptying it every time. And when we have our experience as in this moment with God Himself as He is speaking through these Scriptures, then we ought to be 
continually filling right back up. It is, it is a continuing process in the presence of God. So here are these people that said, wow, this is blowing our minds. We're going to go home and we're going to do the homework. We're going to see if that's really true about what's going on. I'm sure that they didn't go separate homes, you know, I'll go over here and I'll dig out all of my scrolls. Well, not everybody had all the scrolls, right? So let's kind of get our community together without Paul and let's see if what he's saying is true. And as they examined those things, they learned more and more and more. And what happened in verse 12? Well, so far, every time Paul has preached, we have said, success, he saved some. Here the text says that many, many of them believed. And not a few of the honorable Greek widows. Wow! There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of people who are hearing the word, they're receiving it, they're examining it. Do you get this? They're not just passive in their spirituality. They really want to know what God has for them. And when they heard the word, they dug deep. Why would you do that? Why should I do that? How about John 5 verse 39? You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they, Jesus says, which testify of me. These scriptures that we are reading are not just for entertainment. They can be entertaining, but that's not what they are for. They are living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and they are a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. They get right up next to you, and they say, Hey, Ken, are you doing this? Are you doing that? What is the measure of your life according to what is said right here? I have to constantly measure myself against God's expectation of me. That is, if I want to see His promises fulfilled in me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When those people reached a state of completion, according to their study of the Word of God, what happened? Well, the same thing that always happens. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith came. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when it did, not just a few, because these people examined the word. They had a ready and open heart, accepting of whatever it is that God says, and they responded to it. A lot of them did. So, here you are, you know. You can embody in yourself the same thing that Paul was talking about in our general text for today. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. I, me, put yourself there, whoever you are. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I'm, I'm doing that. I'm going to become what it takes to be the vessel through which the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ reaches the life of somebody else. Will they accept it? I don't know. Peace. I, I don't know. It may be that you have the results that you find in the sowing of seed, right? Matthew chapter 13, 
Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8. Basically, in that story, about 25% is viable. I don't know. Is that discouraging? Not if our intent is to give our all and be happy that God has given some. But what I do know is Luke chapter 8, verse 11. The seed that we're planting is the Word of God. When you plant that seed, you've done your job. Let God take care of the rest. So I'm going to keep my eyes open to the possibilities, the opportunities that are all around me. I'm going to be listening very carefully and intently to those that I'm with so that if I need to change my approach, I'm going to do what's necessary in order to reach that person where they are. And when I ascertain where they are, it's from that place that I'm going to try to lead them to Jesus. And if where they are is a place I need to go myself, then just get right in there and get dirty. And then walk them out to Jesus. That's what Paul did, even risking his own life to see that the gospel was preached. Because he said that necessity is laid on me. Is that necessity on you? If it is, I'm sure you're gangbusters about sharing what you know with somebody. I mean, we gave you the simplest avenue possible a couple of weeks ago. Just grab a bag and share the bag with your friend. Wow, has that opened up a door for you? If it has, then go through that door. You know this person. Take advantage of that. Help them with that Bible study. Whatever it takes, with this burden upon us, whatever it takes, let's see that some will benefit. Now, if you're not a child of God, you've come to the place where you've heard the gospel already and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then I am praying in my heart right now and all through the singing of this invitation song that you will have the courage to step out in that aisle and come forward and let us know that you today want to have your sins washed away. We won't wait. It's an emergency. We will baptize you immediately. If you're still debating those things, you need somebody to study with, let me know. I'll study with you or I'll find somebody to study with you. Because see, a lot of us just have that necessity laid on us. We don't want to see anybody lost. If you need to respond because of a dilatory work and you're ready to get back at it, we'll pray with you. If you need to obey the gospel, come forward and let's celebrate that together. If anybody needs to respond today for any reason at all, now is your opportunity. Come while you need to while we stand and sing. Hear the voice of Jesus
You who not yet received the influence of the Lord's Supper, if you'll raise your hand at this particular time, one of our ushers will be sure to get you one. Jesus Christ, we have seen is so very, very important. As we partake of this fruit of the vine, let's think about the magnificence and the wonderful blessing that the blood of Christ is for our lives and how it provides not only forgiveness of sins in this life, but the hope for heaven in this life is opened by the blood. Again, our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for the provisions that you've made for our salvation. May we at this time, Father, partake of this fruit of the vine, the juice of the grape, and it reminds us of the precious blood of our Savior that was spilt on Calvary, that blood that washes away our sins, that blood that provides hope and forgiveness that otherwise would not be ours. May we reflect on it and may we focus our attention on what that means to our lives in Christ's name. Amen. We now have the opportunity to give back to the Lord. Of course, there, on the screen, there are several ways that that can be accomplished. We need to remember uh, what our Lord said, Give, it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men put into your bosom. 
You know, sometimes we can use the expression, you know, we just, it just seems like sometimes we, we shovel it out to God when we give, but we need to remember, he's got a lot bigger shovel than we've got, and he always shovels it right back. And so let's remember that when we give to God, he's going to bless us tremendously. Let us bow and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all the physical and material blessings that are ours to enjoy. We know that without you, that none of this would be possible. Today, as we give back to you, may we reflect the amount of love and care that we have for you and for your church and for the spreading of the gospel. May we do so today in a well-pleasing manner in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. I want to thank everyone for being here. It's good to see everyone. Uh, thankful for uh, this service that we've had. Thank you, Ken, for that lesson, Gib. Good job, everybody. To come up and give Gib a big hug after services. But give him a pat on the back. I'm kind of joking with him, but good job. We had 301 here this morning, so we're thankful for that number. I have a couple cards I would like to read. The first card is from uh, the Moore family, Barry and Charlotte, Josh and Amy Moore. Dear church family, we want to thank all of you that showed so much kindness with calls, texts, and cards to Baylor. He read them over and over and was so happy to get them. We're so thankful to God that both boys are on the men and at home. Our whole family appreciated your thoughtfulness more than we can say. Most of all, we were so thankful for all the prayers you sent up for both boys. Much love in Christ, Barry and Charlotte, and Josh and Amy Moore. This is from the family of Nada Bullock. Dear brothers and sisters, Nada taught her family to count our blessings. With her passing, it is no surprise that our church family is at the top of our blessing list. We humbly want to say a huge thank you to all of you. Nada appreciated and enjoyed hearing each card read to her, each text read to her, and eating the food prepared for her. Although short and sweet, she also enjoyed the visits and beautiful prayers. May the kindness you showed be returned to you. Please continue to pray for us, the family of Native Bullock. Just a few other announcements uh, that we have. If you have a bulletin, you can see some of those. The devotional at Landmark Nursing and Rehab is today at 4 o'clock. Zion Rest is in charge. The SOS ministry bags are available in the foyer. Everyone is encouraged to pick up the bags and hand them out, as Ken mentioned earlier. Uh, the visitation team members, please pick up your assignments at the visitor center. Weekly food pantry item is canned pasta. And uh, last but certainly not least, the Golden Circle will be going to Cracker Barrel in Corinth this coming Tuesday morning. Bus will leave at 8.30. Monday morning. Let me rephrase that, so we're going to rewind. Golden Circle will be going to Cracker Barrel in Corinth this coming Monday morning. Bus will leave at 8.30.
That's all the announcements I have. If you will uh, bow with me, we'll be dismissed in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day that you've blessed us with and the opportunity that we have to be together. It's so good to be here and see our brothers and sisters and be able to worship. We're so thankful for that opportunity and that freedom we have. Father, we're thankful for all of our members and we know we have some who are hurting right now and we just pray that you be with them and the Nada Bullock family and their loss and we just ask you to please comfort them and encourage them. We're thankful for her life and her example and there's so many here that uh, that are good examples for us to look up to and follow. We're thankful for them. Lord, we're thankful for this service we had. We pray that everything that was said and done was pleasing to you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.